All right, there we go. Good morning, good to see you guys. It's a great day to be at church today, together worshiping the Lord on Palm Sunday. Uh, I have a couple of announcements before we uh, kind of jump into the text here and uh, open up God's Word in the First Peter. Uh, the first one is this, that uh, Nolan and Haley Schuler had, had their babies. Yeah, yeah. And I, I said that right, babies. Uh, twin boys, yes, Frederick and Lewis were born. You guys, I know that you, you always want the stats, right? The stats, like their weight and length and all that kind of stuff. I only have seven pounds. That's all I got for you. Seven pounds and six pounds each, each, yeah. So when you see them, we'll give them a formal introduction when they arrive here. And, and, uh, but I wanted you guys to know that. Also wanted you to know this, that Ben and Michelle Dale, who are here at church this morning, we'll be on a plane this afternoon and headed to Uganda uh, with their kids, and so be, be uh, mindful of that and be praying for them as they're, they're gone for uh, the next 10 days or so in Uganda, um, helping to train pastors and, uh, on how to memorize Scripture and kids on memorizing Scripture, and so be in, be in prayer for them as they take off. They're, they're, they, they're here this morning uh, serving as they normally do, and then, then they'll go off uh, this afternoon, so uh, be, be in prayer for Ben. Ben and Michelle, Annika and Michaela, uh, as they take off. All right, let's open up our Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We are in 1 Peter uh, together. If you're new to us uh, or fairly new to us, we've been studying the book here for a little while, and uh, we are just taking it one verse at a time, uh, sometimes one phrase at a time, uh, wanting to dig in as deep as we can into God's Word and to glean as much truth as we can. Uh, from it, and then take those truths and apply it to our lives. And so we are in 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to be looking specifically at a verse that is very common to all of us, and that is the simple verse, cast your cares or cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. But let me just read the context here before we jump into that, that, that verse. Let's start at just at the beginning of the chapter. So I exhort the elders among you, verse 1 of chapter 5. As a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The theme of this section, or the topic of this section, is humility. Humility. Specifically, what does it mean, as we looked at this last week, what it means to clothe yourself with humility and to humble yourselves with humility? All of us want to pursue Christ, and in the pursuit of Christ, there must be a humbling of oneself. To be like Christ, you must be humble. Oftentimes, we like to think that we need to be the humbling agent in somebody else's life. Sometimes I think about this on the basketball court with my kids. I need to be the humbling agent in their life to remind them 
that I once too could dribble a basketball. <laughs> it's starting to be reversed now. We're there, the humbling agent in my life when it comes to basketball. But oftentimes, this is what we think, that we need to be that humbling agent in somebody else's life. And let me just remind you that no, you do not need to be the humbling agent in somebody else's life. It says here to humble yourself. It says here to clothe yourself. And that it is God who actually does the humbling in your life. In fact, we looked at that, a, a quote by David Mathis. I just want to read it to you again just to remind us of this. When it comes to humility, it says this, Humility, like faith, and as a manifestation of faith, is not an achievement. Humility is not fundamentally a human initiative, but a proper God-given response in us to God himself and his glory and his purposes and in the world and in our lives. We don't teach ourselves to be humble. There's no five-step plan for becoming more humble in the next week or month. Within measure, we may take certain steps in faith to cultivate a posture of humility in ourselves, but the main test and opportunity comes when we are confronted, unsettled, and accosted in the moments when our semblances of control vanish and we're taken off guard by the hard edges of life in a fallen world, and the question comes to us, how will you respond to these humbling circumstances? Will you humble yourself? For Christians, self-humbling is mainly responsive. We don't initiate humility, and we don't get the credit for it. So when we're talking about humbling ourselves, clothing ourselves in humility, it is a response to God's divine initiative for us to line up underneath his authority, his power, and his will for our life. And God puts these opportunities in front of us, sometimes small, sometimes great, to humble us. And the response to God's initiative is, will we humble ourselves? That's far different than waking up and saying, today, I'm going to be humble, and I'm going to pull up my own bootstraps, and I'm going to be humble today, and I'm just going to walk out, and I, it's all about me and my humility. <laughs> it's not. It's about God. It's about Christ and his humility within you, and he is revealing you that and showing you that throughout these different circumstances in your life in which we respond to that humility, in humility. Now, these uh, recipients of this letter in First Peter, uh, they were under the heavy threat of persecution from Emperor Nero. They were going through difficulty in their lives. There would often be times where they may want to rise up against opposition. And Peter would remind them here, specifically here, to humble themselves even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of suffering. The church was being persecuted you can see all the way back in, in chapter 4 and verse 12 that Christians aren't to be surprised by the fiery trial when it comes upon them. Don't think it's strange that you are being persecuted. He even says in, in verse 19 of chapter 4 that, that those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good, saying this, that it is even God's will for you to suffer. It is God's will for you to be persecuted. It is God's will for you to go through trials. And in the midst of that, in the midst of trials, in the midst of difficulty, and in the midst of hardship, is when we are prone to be anxious, when we're prone to worry. Part of living the Christian life is that you know that you will faithfully suffer. 
that you will go through hardship. And in the midst of that hardship, what is lurking in the shadows is anxiety and worry. And Peter knows this, and Peter has a concern for his readers. He knows that through these difficult things that are happening, through these trials that are happening and are going to continue to happen, that are part of God's will, that you will be prone to be anxious about what is going on in your life. You'll have concern after concern after concern. Now, it's interesting, and I find it interesting, that that verse 7 is set right in the midst of humility. It says there, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. It seems as though if if I were writing this, I would have placed it somewhere else. I would have placed it maybe after verse 19. After it says that that you're going to suffer according to God's will, that this will be a part of your life, it'll be trials in your life, and it's coming after you, then it seems like that's a great place to put cast your cares on him because he cares for you. But Peter sets this right in the context of humility. Why why would he set it right in the context uh, uh, of just asking us to to humble ourselves? You can say it like this. What does my humility have to do with my anxiety? What does my humility have to do with my anxiety? Or, or, Or another question would be like this. What does my pride have to do with my anxiety? Because that's the context, the immediate context that this, this is set in is, is humility and pride. He gives us a little bit of a hint there and when he says God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Peter understands this. James understood this. The psalmist understood this. That God is opposed to the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Meaning this, the proud have no place to turn when they get anxious. God's against them. The proud don't need help. The proud have built their own little kingdom and they've claimed themselves their own king. The proud don't look for divine help. The proud have their own universe to which they run. The proud don't look elsewhere when they've got trouble or hardship in their life. They, they look inwardly. They look to themselves. And if they were to look to God, they, they would recognize this, that God is opposed to the proud. The proud want to figure it out on their own. The proud don't need God's help. They're too proud to ask for help. They're too proud to cast their cares on somebody else. But on the other hand, what does it say? He gives grace to the humble. Meaning this, that God's eye is upon those who humbly seek him. God's favor is upon those who draw close to him. And God, what God does is he sets up these circumstances in our life for us to recognize that we are in divine need of him, that we can't do life apart from him, that we do need his help, and that he is going to give us the grace that we need each and every day. Now, this doesn't remove the hardship. 
This doesn't remove the trial. This doesn't even explain away the difficulty that you're going through on a daily basis or, or, or on a weekly basis or the hardship that you're even going through now. But what it does say is this, is that you can do something about your concerns. That there is an answer for your anxiety. And Peter's instruction here is to the humble. He is reminding the humble that God is for you, that God is with you, that God will, will take care of you, that God will protect you. And then he gives us exactly what it is that we're supposed to do. This is the answer right here to all the anxiety and concerns that you have in your life. This is what you need to do on a daily basis. He says it very clearly. You have it memorized. Cast all your cares on him. Give those concerns to the Lord because he cares for you. This is what Peter wants us to know. We don't have to hang on to those anxieties. We don't have to hold on to them. We need to give them to the Lord. And so Peter calls us to pray. If you look here, we started an outline last week in regards to humbling ourselves, and there's three places where Peter calls us to humble ourselves. The first one, if you can follow the train of thought here, the first one is this, to humble yourself in relationships. Look what it says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. The first place where, where God would intervene in your life to, to humble you would be within relationships, friendships, marriage. Whatever it is that you're going through, whatever relationships that you have, they could be divinely there for God to reveal pride in your life. It's also an opportunity for you to show humility towards one another, meaning, meaning this, that in your relationships, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, means this, to be kind and not critical to one another. That's what humility does. Humility listens well and speaks less. Humility would speak highly of others, congratulating others, praising others for their accomplishment. Humility in relationships would serve one another. And this is what Jesus did in John 13, where, where this same idea here of clothe yourselves, Jesus would, would tie a ra- an apron or, around his waist and he would grab the basin of water and he'd wash the disciples' feet. This is what humility does. This is humility in action as you serve one another. This is what Jesus did, as it was said in in Philippians chapter 2, about humbling yourself, how Christ would humble himself, even to the point of death, death on a cross, and we're told there to do nothing from selfish ambition. And so we humble ourselves in relationships. Yes, even the difficult relationships, even the hard relationships. The ones at work, the ones in the home, the ones with extended family. All of those are opportunities that God is putting in our lives for us to show humility towards one another. Secondly, then, is this. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That's what it says says in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, in the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he will lift you up. What's the mighty hand of God? The mighty hand of God is often used not only for deliverance of God's people, but also for purifying and maturing the believer. That God will place sovereignly into your life trials and hardship 
to purify you, to correct you, to humble you. And so the proper response to that is we don't fight the hand of God. That's a losing battle. We don't wrestle his mighty hand. We don't complain. Rather, we recognize and we line up underneath, as it says there, under the mighty hand of God. We recognize his sovereignty and his power, and we line up underneath it as God purifies us, and we humble ourselves underneath that hardship, underneath that trial. And so that, as it says there, at the proper time, he may exalt you. Number three, then, is this, the third one here. The last one is what I just talked about, but let's just throw it in the outline here. Humble yourself by casting all your anxieties on him. Humble yourself by casting all your anxieties on him. In the times of the most incredible hardship, the most incredible pain, the most incredible difficulty in your life, the most incredible times, which that's results and worries and concerns and anxieties, That is what you are called to do. It is a sign of humility that you would offer to God your concerns. It's an indicator. Peter is saying this, pray at all times when you get anxious. And that there is, in fact, a direct correlation between your humility and your anxiety. Pride is dependence on self. Humility is dependence on God. Anxiety comes when we lose control of life. Anxiety comes when we want the control, when we want to take the control from God, and we want to usurp God from his throne and say, no, God, I've got a better way. I've got a really good way. You should see my plan for my life. It is fantastic. It is perfect. And you are interrupting my plan. And because of that, I'm very anxious right now. Because I don't know how it's going to work out. I've lost entire control of my life. Even wanting things to go back to the way it it used to be, right? We say this, oh, if I could just go back to 2019, before 2020. Specifically, February, March of 2020. We can just go back. Remember that? Remember that life? Wasn't it so much better and simpler and easier? I had a little bit more control back then. And I've kind of lost much. And that sets in what? An anxious response. What am I going to do? How, how, what, what's going to happen? I, I can't predict the future anymore. I don't know what the next three to five months are going to look like. I don't know what the next year is going to look like. And we, be, we begin to get anxious because of that. There's a story of Joe Gibbs. You guys know who Joe Gibbs is? If you're an NFL fan, you, you'll know who NFL Hall of Fame coach. He won three Super Bowls for what was called the Washington Redskins at the time. He was in Washington, D.C. It was a Sunday morning, and, and he needed to get to the stadium. He thought, hey, this time I'm going to take a cab. So he hops in a taxi cab. He's on his way to the stadium, and the cab driver was a recently immigrated man from uh, to America, and he realized when he was driving, he looked in the back seat, he goes, hey, that's, that's Joe Gibbs. He's on his way to the stadium. Once he realized that it was Joe Gibbs in the, in the back seat, he shouted out, 
Coach, you need to throw the ball more. New to America, new to football cab driver. Thought he would tell the Hall of Fame Super Bowl winning coach how to do his job. But you know what? Sometimes we want to tell God how to do his job. The God of the universe. The God who created everything, who's ran the universe. And we want to say, hey God, can I I just tell you how to do your job? Maybe just this one thing. I've got a. Can I just be the offensive coordinator? Just call the plays. You can do everything else. Just let me call the plays. I want to say, God, this is this is what needs to be done. This is what needs to be happening. And then when it doesn't happen the way you want it to happen, what sets in in that moment? Anxiety. We don't want to line up underneath the mighty hand of God, even though it says to us that if we would humble ourselves and line up in the mighty hand of God, what would God do? He's going to exalt us. The posture of humility then is recognizing that God, you're sovereign. God, you're in control. God, you're wise. Your counsel is better. I submit to it. And Peter says, as you're doing that, here's here's what you do when those worries come into your life. You just cast them to the Lord. You say, okay, Lord, you're the sovereign, good God. I'm going to give them to you, all my concerns. I'm going to cast them at your feet. This is exactly what it says in Philippians 4, 6. It says this, "Do, do not be anxious about anything. Maybe, can we, can we maybe say something? Just maybe, no. It says, Nothing. Be anxious about nothing. But in everything. By what? By prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Let your requests be made known to God. This word here, as you you see it, it says, cast all your anxieties on him. I, I say care because I think that's what the NASB, which I grew up on, had some of you have that in your mind, cast all your cares on him uh, because he cares for you. The, the word here for anxiety, what is anxiety? Well, let me just give you a, a, just, a, just a little bit of uh, help here. It says this, uh, anxiety is this, to divide or draw different directions or to be distracted. It's the state of being pulled apart. In our anxiety, it causes us to to wrestle at night when we're trying to sleep. You have a restless night. Why? Because your mind's divided. It wants to go this way and that way, and you just think of what is actually happening, what, what might happen, what, what could possibly might happen, happens, but won't. And we just start wrestling, and our mind's just torn. That's literally what the word means. It's, it's a distracted mind where it's just racing in all these different directions, pulled in every direction. All the what-ifs come up, and for whatever reason, they, they seem to, to happen like at two in the morning, three in the morning. And you just wake up, and all of a sudden, your mind is thinking about things you hadn't even thought about all day, but all of a sudden, it becomes a problem, and your mind's just distracted. Also, another word for this, for for worry, 
Here another definition is this. It, it means to choke. It means to choke. You can say it like this. Worrying chokes the mind. Worrying can make someone lifeless. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 10, you remember the parable of the sowers, it says this, those who hear the word, but the cares, that's the same word, the cares or anxiety of the, the, the world and the deceitfulness of riches and desires for the other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. This is what happens with our anxiety. It, it just chokes us. It makes us lifeless at times. Proverbs 12, 25, it says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. And this is exactly what Peter is saying as we feel these things and they come upon us and it, it, it's going to happen. This is what we're to do. This is how we're to respond. We, we humble ourselves and we cast those at the Lord. Psalm 55, 22 says this, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. In the Greek and here in verse seven, the, the word all is actually at the front of the verse. For emphasis here, the Greek emphasizes the fact that everything that comes to mind, every concern that you would have, no matter how small or no matter how great, it all is boiled up in this word, all of it. Take all of it to the Lord. And he says, cast it there. It's in, it's in an active voice. It, it signifies this, that it's a conscious, volitional choice, a choice of our will to, to literally throw or release our burdens onto God. Release it. If you, if you like to fish, be like casting. You, you release it into the water and you just send it out into the water. This word is used in Luke 19.35 to, to throw clothes over an animal. And it's this idea of like tossing a blanket over something. And, and a lot of times what we like to do uh, when it comes to our anxieties, if we're tossing something, we, we want to hold on to one of the corners. And we throw it and we hold on to one of the corners. Just, just that corner, God, I, I, I'm going to give it to you. But just in case you don't know what you're doing, I still got hold of it. Just in case I, I can pull that. That's not casting. To cast it is to say, God, you get all my anxieties and you release all of it to the Lord. Give that burden to God. That's what this word means. You cast it to the Lord. It's actually a participle, which is, is better translated casting over and over again. It's the process of doing this over and over and over again. And because it's a participle, it's dependent on the verb in front of it, which is to humble yourselves, which means the verse could read simply like this, humble yourself by casting your cares upon him because he cares for you. Making prayer an indicator of the humble. Now, I want you to notice something here. What Peter could have said or what he didn't say when it comes to our anxiety. Peter doesn't say this. He doesn't say, fix your own anxiety. Come on, just, just get up tomorrow morning and fix it all. Just, just kind of pull, pull your, your bootstraps up and wake up and say, today I'm not going to be anxious. I'm going to fix it myself. He doesn't say that. 
Oftentimes, we want to fix our own problems. Oftentimes, our problems aren't fixable by ourselves, but we just don't want to admit it. It doesn't say fix your own anxiety. It doesn't say flee from your anxiety. Just, just turn and run from it. Just forget about it altogether. Just, just turn and run. He doesn't say hide from your anxiety. He doesn't say stand firm and, and battle your anxiety. Just go to battle with it. Fight it. He doesn't say alter it. Change the situation. He doesn't say avoid it. He doesn't say amend it. He doesn't say any of those things. He doesn't say anything that we even have to do with, with anything other than giving it all to the Lord. He doesn't say come up with some secular phrase that you like and, and use that throughout the day. Find within yourself the willpower not to worry. He doesn't say any of those things. In 1988, some of you were there in 1988, some of you were not, a musician and singer, Bobby McFerrin, he noticed a poster in an apartment in San Francisco. It had a simple inspirational message on it that he really liked. And so Bobby McFerrin was inspired by the expression, its charm, its simplicity, and he wrote a song that was based upon this expression that became a hit, sig- uh, a hit single the next year. And some of you know the song. It's a simple phrase. Don't worry, be happy. In 1988, it was used as the theme song for the presidential election. It was also, after Hurricane Gilbert in Jamaica, it was... It became the unofficial theme song of the country, and you know how it goes. Don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, be happy, and then you just start whistling. Don't worry, be happy, and on and on and on and on it goes. This catchy, this catchy phrase, just like as if that's the answer. Like, I mean, just don't worry, be happy. Sing this little song, and everything's going to be fine. Don't worry, be happy. Even the comedian George Carlin said this, that this, the song's message was exactly the kind of mindless philosophy that Americans would respond to. Like, everything's fine now, I sang the song. Everything's fine now, I said the phrase. I even whistled along in the car this time. When the reality is this, saying that phrase, don't worry, be happy, don't worry, be happy, it hardly fixes anything in life. It's a momentary jolt to our emotions, but nothing actually changes. What do you mean, just be happy? What do you mean just by telling me, don't worry? Do you understand what's going on in my life? Do you understand the relationships that I go through? Do you understand the job that I have? Do you understand the pressures and hardship of life that I'm going through right now? Do you understand that? You're just telling me just to sing a song, be, uh, don't worry, be happy? But listen, the world has no cure for your anxiety. The world has no answer for your anxiety. They're trying to figure out something, anything to say 
You just need to be happy. Just, just do this and do that. The world has no clue. But look, Peter has the answer for you. This is what you're supposed to do. Cast it on the Lord. Give it to the Lord. Take all your burdens to him. He's the one that cares for you. He's the one that understands. He's the one that knows. His shoulders are big enough to carry your burdens. His love is wide enough to comfort your soul. His arm is strong enough to change your situation. His wisdom more discerning than our plans. Would you just trust the Lord by casting your anxieties on him today? And Peter says this and helping us understand it. He says, because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. God cares for you. This word for cares, it means this. It means to be interested in. I know sometimes we like to think that God's not interested in what's going on in my life or that God doesn't care, that God doesn't know. When the reality is this, that God cares, he's interested in your life. It means to have a watchful care and affection. God has a watchful care and affection for you. And he wants you to depend on him. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to lay those burdens at his feet. God invites us to burden him with what burdens us. And God sees your affliction. God hears your prayers. And he is concerned for his children. I think the best way to, to show you that is just to remind you what Scripture says. And so I want to show you a couple places. Turn first to Matthew chapter 6. I need all Bibles open to Matthew chapter 6 right now. If you don't have a Bible, find one. Download the app right now. We've got to have our Bibles on Matthew chapter 6 right now. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. These are verses, church, that you need to just have on your minds and, and, and pinned up on your, on your refrigerator and, and on your mirrors and at your, in your cars. You're going through hardship and you want to be anxious and worry. These are the verses that you need to have. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life and what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on. Is not life more important than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor weep nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? 
For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Here it is. Underline it. Highlight it. And your heavenly Father knows. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all of them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Our Heavenly Father knows. He knows exactly the concerns of your heart. Turn over to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Psalm 139 says this, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You searched out my path and my lying down. Here it is. And you are acquainted with all of my ways. How acquainted? Well, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You Hem me in from behind and before and lay your hand upon me. And such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed and shield, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even before your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my, wonder, my, my, my mother's womb. I, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against me with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them that that complete hatred. With a complete hatred, I count them my enemies. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. This is the care of our Lord. He knows us. Every detail of our life. Every action. Every thought. J.I. Packer says this quote. And I love this quote. I've shared this with you before. It's. It's been so helpful for me. It says this, I am graven on the palm of his hands. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me. Here it is. And there is never a moment when his eye is off of me or his attention distracted for me. 
and no moment, therefore, when his care falters. Isn't that beautiful? There's never a moment when his care falters. And then this, in Hebrews 4, verse 15 and 16, it says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted, as we are, yet without sin. And here it is. Let us then, because we have a high priest, Jesus Christ, who who can sympathize with us, let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Church, we have a God who cares so much about us, who loves us and is concerned with us, whose eye is never off of us. And our response to that is that we simply fall before him and we cast all of our cares upon him. And let me just say this too, there's, there's, there's a simplicity to this. It's as simple as this, and it's amazing how if we would just, just, you just wake up and just open up your Bibles and just start by simply just opening the pages of Scripture and reading the Bible first thing in the morning. It's amazing how the anxieties of the night kind of just drift away as we remind ourselves of the promises and the character of God by a simple reading of Scripture and allowing that to be the driving force by which we cast our cares upon Him that day. Just taking it to the Lord in prayer, trusting in His sovereignty, trusting in His will, believing what the Bible says, cast all your anxieties on Him because... He cares for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. What a familiar verse to so many of us. That I pray that there be even a renewed understanding and an even a renewed motivation to practice what we know to be true. Forgive us, Lord, when we want to take matters into our own hands. Forgive us, Lord, for trying to be the king of our own kingdom, wanting to run our own world. And then when you disrupt that, we become angry and bitter at you instead of casting our cares upon you. And so, Lord, we ask for your help in that. We ask that you would not only hear our prayers, Lord, but that you would answer as well. And that in your providence and in your sovereignty, as you care for us and as you love us and have concern for us, Lord, we would continue to worship you, continue to turn to you. Lord, we're so thankful that we don't have a God that is so far and distant from us that we can't have a relationship with him or a Savior who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every way can sympathize with the things that we are going to. And and Christ asks of us to come to him where we can find mercy and grace to help us in time of need. 
And so we pray towards that end, Lord, that we'd be those who run to Christ in our times of need. In Jesus' name, amen.